0: Hello, this is the Missionary District Podcast. I am Tyler, face for Radio Wall, and this is Amos Martell. Hello, Amos. Hey, Tyler. (laughs) So today we've gone through uh, secularism. We've kind of introduced a lot of concepts, uh, talked through a bit of the ideas around secularism. And today we're going to talk about miracles. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah, we're going to talk about miracles today. Uh, Before we jump into that, I just had uh, some feedback uh, from people who have been listening along that um, some of our terminology and stuff is a little bit maybe confusing or seems a little bit inaccessible to people who listened to the first episode and really liked it. But then uh, when they listened to episodes after that, it maybe seemed like it was a little bit above their heads or just jargony. Uh, something like that. And uh, I just wanted to say, you know, first of all, thank you very much for the feedback.
0: We love feedback.
1: We do, yeah. Tyler and I both really enjoy uh, any feedback that you want to give us. And it's really helpful for us to know what's hitting the mark and what isn't. But I I did also just want to say that with the conversation that we're having here, there seems to be an inherently difficult aspect to it, Um, right? Like. We're trying to have a conversation about things that we have been immersed in for our whole lives, but that maybe we've never actually thought about before or articulated. And so in order to have that conversation, we have to introduce new concepts, we have to introduce new terms, and we have to think about things in a different way. Uh, And it's just really hard to do. It it requires some wrestling on our part. And so I guess I just wanted to encourage you to... Uh, keep listening and just to sort of grab on whatever you can. And it's not like uh, you have to grab all of these concepts in a day or in an episode. Uh, but try and take what you can and uh, keep giving us your feedback uh, as you will. Because as I said, it's really helpful for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of these things that we that you live in for years and years and you start shifting the way that you think about them. And we're actually giving names to these things once you start throwing these these words around, it can almost sound a bit like word salad. Right. And that is confusing. Yeah. I mean, even I get confused when I read books in this, in this uh, realm. I'll just, I'll be like, oh, I got to take a rest because there's so many words on the page.
1: Yeah, it can be very disorienting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. But this is a lighter episode. This is about miracles. Yeah. And we're not talking about, like, we're not going to go through... I think, a list of miracles and then evaluate them. That's not what we're going to... No, not
1: what we're I don't think so. I think we're having a pretty general conversation yeah. about miracles today. Kind of an introduction to it. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been talking about secularism, obviously. And in particular, we've been focusing on this metaphysical flattening effect of secularism on our world, that, that secularism takes all of existence and sort of tries to compress it into a single plane of being. And so things can only ever exist in one way. And so we're contrasting a naturalistic worldview with what we might call a sacramental or perhaps an incarnational worldview. Mm -hmm. And so in the last episode, uh, we talked about the non-competitive union of the human and divine natures in Jesus Christ. So on on a secular or metaphysically flat worldview, it's impossible to comprehend the dogmatic statement that Jesus is both fully God and fully man because he he can't be both. But if we don't restrict ourselves to that single plane of being, if we're consistent enough to say that any God that's worth his salt must fundamentally exist in a different way than that, which he chooses to create, then we can start to see how the human and divine natures of Jesus do not impinge upon one another, that empirical existence and eternal existence are just categorically different things.
0: Yeah, that, so that's like when you say flattening the metaphysical worldview, so to speak, you're, you're saying that there's like this, there's the physical world. Yeah. And then there's something else that exists. So like if we were to say that the physical world were the, the horizontal plane sure, yeah. on a chart, and then there's this vertical plane. And, and that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about flattening, it's just like, well, we're only going to consider the horizontal. We're not going to even think about the vertical. It's just right. the one plane that we're talking about.
1: Yeah. And any concepts which exist in the vertical plane, we're going to try and compress them down and understand them on the horizontal level. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and, and so uh, Jesus being fully man, science would be like, oh yeah, we can measure that. We can do all the things to it. But when we start talking about him fully God, Then they're like, well, of course he's not fully God because we're not even well, we can't measure the fully God part, so we're just going to say that he's not. So it's like lowest common denominator.
1: Yeah, in some ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So today, I think uh, when we talk about miracles, I think what we what we want to do is try to apply that sort of metaphysical scheme to our understanding of the way that God works in the world. So you know, what kinds of things do we accept as miracles? What kinds of things do we reject? Uh, I think it's an interesting question. And the answer is really going to depend on what lens you're looking through, what, what your starting assumptions are. So I just looked up the dictionary definition of a miracle, and it was pretty much what I expected it to be. It said, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. The key thing there is is the assumption within that definition that there can only be one causal force for any particular event. So in the same way that secularism pits the human and divine natures of Jesus against one another and can't comprehend how they can coexist in the same person, it also says that for God to act in the world requires a suspension of the laws of nature. An event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws can therefore be considered the work of divine agency, which implies, of course, that if it can be explained by natural laws, then the divine agent is necessarily absent.
0: It's interesting. I find it sometimes problematic when we get into these discussions about uh, something that is absolutely in, I would say this is is more in the realm of Christianity and other religions, miracles, than it is in the, the physical realm. And yet we're still bound by the, the definitions of the physical realm. So the, the secular rule set are defining the field with which we're going to play the game on. Right. And they, say, they lay out the, the field, they lay out the rules and then they say, okay, now we can play the game. Right. And then we're, we're left scrambling, trying to be like, well, the rules that we need don't exist on this, on this field.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just, I find it funny. Of course, we have to have a starting spot and that's a great spot. Yeah, Finding a definition in the dictionary, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so so to the secular mind, for God to act in the world is an intrusion. It's an interruption uh, in the normal course of events, and it has to be unexplainable. If it's found that something has a naturalistic explanation, we totally rule out the possibility of uh, divine agency at all. We rule out the possibility that, that this thing could be a miracle. So uh, here's an example that I thought we could talk about. Uh, several years ago, uh, back in 2013, a member of our congregation by the name of Bruce, who I think is a friend of yours. Is that right? Yeah, I know him, Yeah, Yeah. And he, he wrote a book on this, so I think we're safe in, in talking about it. But yeah. he contracted uh, flesh-eating disease, and it was absolutely terrible. He was in the hospital. Uh, he was on life support. He had three young kids at home, and the church really felt led to pray for him. And actually not just our church, but people from around the world seem to be Mm -hmm. compelled to pray for his healing. And he should have died uh, several times or at least had like one or two limbs amputated or Mm -hmm. something like that. Like flesh eating disease is just absolutely brutal. Uh, But he didn't. He actually made a full recovery and the doctors that were involved said that they had no idea how it happened, that, that there really was no rational explanation for his survival. And uh, if I remember right, I think they were pretty reluctant to use the word miracle, mm-hmm. um, but they certainly implied it. And so you know when we think about that, of course, the church says, well, we know why he survived because God answers prayer that because this this is a miracle. this is God at work in the world. And I believe that wholeheartedly. But I think my my question is this as we consider you know the nature of miracles, if we found out that there was some naturalistic explanation, you know, say something that is just peculiar about Bruce's body that triggered his recovery or some previously unknown side effect to some of the medications that he was taking or whatever. If we found out that there was a naturalistic explanation, does that make it any less of a miracle?
0: Right. Yeah, and if, and, if, and it depends on how we've we've framed the the measuring stick right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah and by that definition i guess you know if there's a naturalistic explanation by that definition it's not a miracle
1: right Correct? Yeah. yeah so from a secular standpoint uh of course it means that it wasn't a miracle because the two are mutually exclusive mm-hmm. if there's a natural explanation it proves that god had absolutely nothing to do with it uh, but what what i i would contend uh, and i think that this is the natural extension of the logic of the incarnation is that God's preferred way of working in the world is through physical, material things. It's exceedingly rare that God suspends the laws of nature. Like, it Mm -hmm. does happen. We see examples of this in the scriptures, uh, but but it's very, very rare. And personally, I would actually be surprised if, at the bottom of it, there wasn't some kind of natural explanation for Bruce's healing, because generally speaking— God seems to like the laws of nature that he set in place. He doesn't go around constantly breaking them, but actually works through them to accomplish his purposes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can think of a lot of examples of that. But anyway, go on.
1: Yeah, so let's look at a biblical example. So um, the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. In, in this passage, Israel is on the run from Egypt And they are trapped. The Egyptians are coming quickly and uh, the Israelites are on foot and basically pressed up against the waters of the Red Sea with nowhere to go. And the Lord says to Moses, he says this in uh, verse 16, Exodus 14, verse 16. He says, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the sons of Israel may go on dry ground through the sea. And so God is getting ready to perform a miracle that will save his people and forever be remembered. Like this is the salvation event of the Old Testament. Like if you were only going to pick one thing from the entire Old Testament that you could point to as the saving action of God on behalf of his people, this is it. This is the thing. And so it's really interesting what happens in verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided even here in one of the greatest miracles of the old testament it doesn't seem to me that god suspends or breaks the laws of nature now maybe he did do some of that i don't know but what we can clearly see in the scriptures is that he doesn't instantly split the waters of the red sea but he sends A strong east wind that blows all night. He actually uses the forces of nature. He works through the forces of nature to save his people. If an atheist or, you know, say any member of a secular society was standing beside Moses when he stretched out his arms over the sea, would they even say that this was a miracle? Or is it just some kind of freak coincidence right? Boy, it sure is lucky that these 700 mile an hour winds came up when they did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, interestingly, I've seen a documentary that, uh, that attends that, that they just say, well, you know, there's other areas in the world where, you know, the land just seems to come up and, uh, and they have evidence of this and, and they actually had video of it in this documentary where, and these people had a pilgrimage across this lake Right. Where it would, at one time a year, it would, basically the water level would drop to a point for a 24-hour period where there was a land bridge across this lake. And so then people would have a pilgrimage because they were like celebrating Moses and parting the Red Seas. And uh, yeah, and they were saying, well, Moses would have known this because he was a scholar and he would have, you know, they had all the reasons, reasons there. Right. right? <laughs> It's very interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. Um, But yeah, you can see like on secularism, you cannot acknowledge divine agency if there's any naturalistic explanation at all. Mm -hmm. And so whereas on, on a sacramental worldview, we can see the physical phenomena that are happening in front of us as the action of God and his intervention into the situation. Again, uh, like we said a lot in the Incarnation episode, it's not always one or the other. It can be both mm-hmm. uh, working in tandem, and God can can use, say, the forces of nature, in this case, for his divine purposes. That said, I think it does create, in some ways, a new problem of how then do we define the miraculous activity of God? Because on secularism, the only possible miracles are very, very demonstrative. Mm-hmm right? Things that are literally impossible according to the laws of physics. But once you say that God works through the physical world to accomplish his purposes, you could almost say that everything is miraculous. And I don't think we want to do that either because it it empties miracles of their meaning. If everything is a miracle, then it's not special, right? Mm -hmm. You get a miracle, you get a miracle, you get a miracle. Um, Everybody's cheering. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Jumping
0: up and down on couches.
1: So, We need to make some kind of distinction between the providence of God and these more demonstrative acts that seem to testify about him in some special way. Because when you stop to think about it, everything really is miraculous, right? In Hebrews, it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? It's not just the fact of creation that is miraculous, but actually every single moment that is given to us is because he is upholding the universe. He is sustaining all things, and I think you know that's what I mean by the the providence of God. Mm-hmm. And we could also think about His general blessings, things like rain and food and family.
0: Things but, that He built into creation.
1: Right. Yeah. Things that that are just given indiscriminately. You don't you don't need to believe in God in order to grow a garden or or something like that. Uh, but it wouldn't be possible without Him. That that that's providence. And I think all of those kinds of things we can put in the category of divine providence or perhaps uh, the general action of God. Versus the special or specific action of God that we see in cases of miracles,
0: yeah, you know it's interesting uh, when we talk about that like just that the general action of God, you know recently our we have a rabbit it's uh really cute yeah <laughs> and we have a, a really nice little enclosure for it what's its name simba it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a lion head rabbit, and nice. uh it's really cute, and my daughter loves it anyway we uh it got out the one day and it has a few times since, but uh, that was the first time it got out. Yeah. And it had gotten out the night before. And so when we went out to look for it, the door was left open. And so it, it managed to, uh, figure out that, Hey, the door's open. I can leave. Right. Right. And, uh, so right away I was just like, well, I was, I had to leave for work. And so I said, well, let's pray about it and we'll pray that there, that the rabbit comes home. Yeah. And so, uh, as I left, it started snowing. When I got home, the kids said, well, we haven't found the rabbit. I was like, oh, well, he'll show up. And so I went and looked around and I saw tracks the next morning. Okay. So this is uh more than 24 hour period. Uh, it's a 24 hour period since I prayed, but like he's been gone for 24 hours plus however long he was the other night. Yeah. And so I saw tracks go in, but he wasn't in the backyard. So, um, we followed the tracks and I said, well, that's, you know divine providence that it snowed, Right. that we can follow these tracks. And so, yeah, we tracked into the neighbor's yard and, and we managed to catch him and bring him back. And uh,
1: Nice. Simba was reunited to his family. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the kids and my wife thought, oh, he's gone. Like he is gone. Because right kitty corner to us is, is a, a really big, uh, it's the Birds of Prey Nature Center. Oh, okay. And so it can go and it can be gone yeah, for a yeah. long time. And, uh, for whatever reason, usually I'm the pessimist. Or Plus the re- it's
1: prey to those birds, right? Exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm, the, I, I shouldn't say pessimist, I'm a realist. And so I'm like, usually I'm the one like, well, yeah, he's prey. We live by a Birds at Prey Center. Uh, there's a road right there. The chances that we find him on the road are really good. The chances that we never find him are even better. But this time I was like, oh no, he'll, he'll show up. And, which is, you know, so divine providence. And, uh. It's not even my type of thinking. I would be more like, well, we can just say goodbye to Simba.
1: Yeah, let's go get another Simba. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly,
0: exactly. But uh, I always think of it like, well, no, God's inspiring my mind, right? Right. Um, So anyway, a big sidetrack there. I just thought it was an interesting, like, you know no, I love is it miraculous like i don't think so but i do believe it's like you know divine providence yeah, it's something though it's something yeah. it it's in that gray area
1: yeah maybe a blessing or a mercy or yeah or maybe we could find some less christianese way, way to say that <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sure that there's
0: less christian ways of saying it but
1: <laughs> coincidence i think Co- is the less christian way it, to say Yeah, that. i think so yeah, yeah. As far as the the special action of God goes, um, personally, I really like the language that the Book of Acts gives us. So it talks a lot about signs and wonders being done in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I like that because I think it helps us to understand the purpose of miracles. And the Gospel of John uses this language of signs a lot as well. When Jesus uh, turned water into wine, for example, at the wedding in Cana, it says, "This is the first of his signs." that Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so a sign is something that manifests his glory and produces faith, something that that points to the glory of Jesus and causes people to believe in him. And signs and wonders and acts are are similarly acts which demonstrate the power of the Lord Jesus and provoke wonder or awe, you know, reverence, worship. Signs and wonders reveal Jesus and draw people to put their faith in him. And so, you know, if that's the purpose of miracles, then how does that inform when or where we might pray for miracles or how we discern which miracles are legitimate? Uh, Maybe I'll put that question to you. You know, if the purpose of miracles is to manifest the glory of Jesus and inspire faith in him, where should we be seeking miracles or, or where should we expect maybe to find them?
0: Yeah. And that's a great question. You know, in a sense, uh, in acts, it, uh, and even throughout the new Testament and the old Testament, there's, there's a sense that there's a giving of evidence. There's a transfer of knowledge Right. that people wonder and then evidence is given and that, changes people's minds and so it's it's almost an, an apologetic in a way that they're um they're doing these things um and that's a you know a really good question i have to, I have to think about that one
1: yeah i think for sure in in contexts where there are uh, unbelievers there who who might be inspired to put their faith in jesus because of that evidence that they see for for his existence and not just his existence generally but um, his care uh, and love for people that is just so demonstrative when mm-hmm. you see uh, miraculous things.
0: And, yeah, you know, and, and that itself brings up so many more questions. Right. Like uh, when people are given evidences and they shirk them off or come up with excuses or other reasons and you look at North America, for instance, I would I would believe that you know if you look at the the numbers of people leaving the church is far more than the people that are coming to the church I wonder how much of that is secularism speaking into the the miracles that are happening and the evidence is being shown and and the evidence is just being kind of shirked off as well we're going to come up with other reasons and other things whereas in more third world countries or even Uh, eastern cultures where they have a greater sense of this mystical and physical world and when the evidences are given of these miracles they're far more likely to accept christianity and god as as the creator right and that's more of a question that's not a statement i'm more just musing that whole thing and seeing wondering if that is is a thing I guess, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I think, I think for sure miracles happen more often when the church is engaged in evangelism, Mm -hmm. in in mission to the world. And so even something like Bruce, which was a very profound miracle, I would say, um, I think God's purposes in that um, were not just for the encouragement of the body of Christ, but for um, bringing people to faith mm-hmm. in Christ. You know, it had an evangelistic component to it. And I think Absolutely. that that's just always common in miracles, that, that they almost always have an evangelistic component.
0: That's how I've always seen it as well, that there's that evangelistic component that is very important, maybe not crucial or needed to have like one of the, have to check this box, otherwise it won't happen type of thing. But absolutely a large factor.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there are signs that point to the glory of Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, then that's that's the most natural place, I think, to look for them. It's funny, though, because I think probably in my experience, the majority of miracles that I've seen people at least praying for, you know, people seeking miracles, are doing so within the church and Mm -hmm. probably not... Um, with a mind to um, evangelism. Right. But just, you know, praying for healing for their brother in Christ or their sister in Christ or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, again, it's not that God can't do that. And, of course, we should seek those things. Um, But I think also we should just be keeping in mind, what is this a sign of? Yes. Um, If God does intervene in this situation in a special way, in a miraculous way... Uh, what is that a sign of? What is it pointing to? Is it provoking awe and wonder and worship?
0: Mm-hmm. An, an interesting story. This is from years and years ago. I would say probably twelve to fifteen years ago. We were at a at a a friend's place. They were they're non-believers. And uh, and this kind of goes back goes to that the evangelistic aspect and and just the inspiration of the mind. And we were at the, and we were actually having a debate and I was, you know, having, I was in my heyday because this guy (laughs) was very willing to debate and I was very willing to debate, but not in, in a super aggressive way. We were just, oh, we're just debating and it's okay. You know, we weren't getting upset about it or anything like that.
1: Right. You can disagree with my ideas and it's okay. I won't take it personally. Absolutely. And
0: the field had been, you know, set and we were okay. Anyway, Strangely enough, their dog walks by and I'm petting him and I had an overwhelming urge to pray for the dog vocally so he could hear me for the dog to be healed. Hmm. Now, I didn't know if the dog was sick or not. I was just like, we think far faster than we speak. Yeah. And so the thought ran through my head. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing if I healed the dog right now? And then what would he say to that? Yeah. And then I quickly squelched that thought. And I said, No. <laughs> oh, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, the dog dies next, the next week. Oh no. So I didn't do it. And, and, uh.
1: I wasn't seeing that coming. Uh, right. <laughs>
0: I know. I didn't see it coming either. <laughs> but what an evangelistic opportunity if I, cause the dog had a, like a lump on its back. Yeah. And I was like, I should just pray for this lump to be like, to fall off. Huh. And that, what would he say to that? Like. Yeah. He would just be like, I don't really have anything to say. And now I, you know. I think even like the next week when I heard the dog died, I was like, oh man, I should have done it. <laughs> if, if I was wrong, whatever, he already thinks I'm crazy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, what, what was there to lose? Anyway, sorry. That was a. At
1: the very least it would have been uh compassionate, I guess. Yeah. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. I was
0: caring for his dog. Yeah.
1: And petting him. Oh, that's too bad. The dog died the yeah, next week. Yeah, it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry to all the dog lovers out there that were hoping for like a really great. End to that story.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was. I thought I thought I was gonna get it really <laughs> No, it's happy a lesson. That story. It's a yeah. lesson. Learn from my mistake.
0: <laughs> Tyler's parables don't ever end the way Jesus' parables end. They're all there's there's always like a lesson to learn from my failure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's most of my lessons too. Yeah. Do it do what I say now in hindsight, not what I did at the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think you know, maybe we could ask, why is it important even to understand the differences between how secularism and Christianity would define and understand miracles? I think one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation today is not because it's the most pressing issue uh, or anything like that, but, because it just gives us another angle from which to see and understand the impact of our worldview Mm -hmm. on our ways of thinking. And some people will be able to see that really clearly in things like the doctrine of the incarnation. And I think other people will probably just connect better to a conversation like this one. Um, But That doesn't mean it's unimportant either. I think uh, talking about miracles um, and the activity of God can help us to view the world sacramentally and, to look for signs that God is at work in the world, so things that we may otherwise have missed seeing because we saw some kind of incompatibility between the physical processes of the world and the divine will of God, um, we can see those things now by discarding uh, the the metaphysical presuppositions of secularism. We can see the activity of God more clearly. We can we can see and appreciate that He actually can work in and through the created order.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, one way that this might play out is sometimes people will deny medical help because they're praying for a miracle and they want God to do the work, right? They want divine intervention in a dramatic fashion. And while that does happen sometimes, I think it also just seems to limit our understanding of the action of God. And really, it actually holds a lot in common with a secular worldview because, you know, God can only act in this one way. Mm-hmm. He has to intervene. He has to break the laws of nature. Whereas I think uh, a sacramental outlook can look at that situation and say, you know, well, doctors and nurses and modern medicine have been provided to us by the general providence of God. And so we, sh- we should be able to accept those things. And he can work in and through those things to bring about our healing. And if he does want to do a special miracle, he he's not limited. He can, he can still do that however he wants to.
0: Yeah. It's, it's almost like, uh, there's a range, you know, from, uh, on the left, you have the complete naturalistic explanation. You know, this is just, you know, you drop a ball, it's going to fall. Yeah. Right. And then, and then a, a range all the way to the other end where it's just like, well, this is a complete miracle. Uh, there is no physical explanation whatsoever yeah. and there's no way that we can describe it uh, physically. It's right. just, it is, it's, you know, I heard of one miracle where uh, the person had hip cancer and the the x-rays showed that the hip was basically gone and then they had a healing prayer and yeah. they x-rayed it again and the hip was basically the 20-year-old hip where it was perfectly okay and And like, there's no physical explanation for a hip growing overnight. Yeah. Uh, and so you you know, you have the, but in between there's all these, there's, you know, there's the, the, like my rabbit story. Yeah. You know, this, you know, it might be a little bit closer to the naturalistic side, but even so I felt that it was like, I felt the need to pray. Yeah. I felt the need to pray with the kids.
1: There was some activity of God in it.
0: Some activity of God.
1: Beyond general providence. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and even, even, even the things of me praying for a certain person at work yeah. and feeling the need, I got to pray for this person. I got to pray for this person. And then that person approaching me and basically giving me the ability to share the gospel with them. Right. Uh, that, that's, you know, providence of God and there's, you know, and all the range in between. Yeah. I'm sure some come closer to the miracle, some come closer to the natural, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel a need to, to outright claim that, well, you know, the sun came up, that's uh, the miracle right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and like you said earlier in the podcast, in a sense it is, right? He created everything. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. yeah. I think
1: though, uh, I think you're right, you know, because I think since we live in a secular context, we, we also have to be mindful of that and, if we're too free with calling something a miracle, then personally, I think that's off-putting. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it can seem really fake and contrived. And And then instead of the purpose, which is to bring glory to Jesus, it can actually harm those relationships and, and sort of inoculate people against the gospel in a way. And so, yeah, yeah, we should be mindful of of that. We should be mindful of the world that we live in. And, yeah as much as we can, you know, speak in terms that that they can understand.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, So just to summarize kind of what we talked about, in the same way that secularism pits the divine and human natures of Jesus against one another and sees them as mutually exclusive, it also sees the natural laws of the universe and the divine action of God as mutually exclusive things. So the causal force for an event must be either natural, or supernatural. So a miracle, by definition, must suspend or break the laws of nature. And in contrast to that, uh, a sacramental worldview sees the divine action of God occurring most often through the physical world. You know, God used a great wind to divide the waters of the Red Sea. And I think this way of thinking builds upon the logic of the Incarnation, and so it confirms the truths of the Christian faith generally, and it also draws us into a deeper appreciation for the general providence of God and helps us to see his works in the world with greater clarity.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting that actually both sides, and you, said, you mentioned this earlier, both sides can be guilty of this, where, you know, the naturalistic worldview can say, well, it's either or, the laws of nature, or breaking the laws of nature. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the Christian worldview can see it and, and kind of be like, well, everything's a miracle. Right. And nothing's nothing's physical. Or,
1: sort of ditch, ditches to watch out for in, in both worldviews, I yeah, think. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, but there's so many examples in the Bible where God, like, uses the wind. Or, hey, Moses, strike this rock so that water comes out. Yeah. And he's it's like a melding of the physical and the spiritual and the miraculous—it's these these two worlds coming together, yeah. and it seems to me that the Bible is intentionally trying to meld those two worlds together, that they are actually interacting with each other, and um, and so there is this spectrum of God's providence over over everything.
1: Yeah, I mean. If Jesus is th- is the foundation of creation, mm-hmm. then I think we should expect to see the logic of the incarnation permeate all of creation. Absolutely, and yeah. so this sort of mingling of human and divine, ordinary and uh, miraculous, um, we, we we should expect to see those things all around us. Yeah, it,
0: yeah. it you know it makes me think of, and it's pro- like, of course as analogies go. It'll fall apart if you look at it too closely. So let's not look at it too closely. Of course, yeah. We'll Um, stay at a distance. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, Having like colored lenses and overlapping them. Now you could separate the two lenses and, you know, get blue and red. And you could look at the world through either a blue lens or a red lens. But if you overlap them, you get purple. Right. And it it seems to me that 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 would be a good analogy at face value. Yeah. That it's, you know, the Bible's kind of painting this purple view of of the world, yeah, and trying to help us understand,
1: yeah, I think that's a good analogy, yeah, yeah we'll stop talking it. about it
0: there because yeah. we don't want it to <laughs> fall apart <laughs> as right. it certainly would. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that anytime you try and come up with an analogy yeah. for something in the Bible or <laughs> to understand. Uh, it just eventually just falls apart. But it's yeah. good for basic understanding. Yeah,
1: as long as you use them just to sort of focus on one thing, they can be very, very helpful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you very much, Amos.
1: Yeah, and thank you, Tyler. And uh, again, keep your feedback coming if you want to send us uh, an email, missionarydistrict at gmail.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening.